Hello, this is one of several interviews on innovation, business and sustainability for the students studying for the MSc in Sustainable Resources at UCL. My name is David Bent and I am an honorary lecturer at the UCL Institute for Sustainable Resources and co-lead on the module Eco-Innovation and Sustainable Entrepreneurship. Most of the course gives people the latest academic theory and insight. These 30-minute interviews are with practitioners to give some of the grit under the fingernails of innovating for sustainability today. And I'm delighted to say we're joined by Nicoletta. So the first question, Nicoletta, uh, what is what has been your role, what is your organization you, you're gonna be speaking from today? Yeah, well, first of all, David, thank you for including me in this series of interviews. Hello also to your students who will be listening to this interview. Um, I will draw uh, from a role that I had uh, in, in my former organization. I used to work for Dow. I have spent actually most of my career with Dow. And in my uh, more recent role, uh, I was technology and sustainability director for Dow's Olympic and sports solutions business. I'll also draw from my experience that I had since then. So I retired from Dow in March, 2021. And since then I've set up a consulting company, Applied Sustainability GmbH. And uh, as the name says, it's about helping make sustainability real. So I'll, I'll draw from these two roles as technology and sustainability director and as a, a co-founder of this new venture. Great, and, and so, <clears throat> Thinking about those two ones, particularly in the first instance, Dow, what was what, what what was that role? What did it really mean in that department? Um, yes. Yeah, so Dow was uh, uh, the partner of the IOC and the Olympic Games, so one of the top partners of the Olympic movement. And uh, in that uh, in that um partnership, um, uh, I was leading the team to implement our technology and sustainability programs. And specifically, um, uh, we took on an additional challenge. We became the carbon partner of the Sochi and the Rio Olympic Games and also of the IOC. So uh, in my role, I was able to oversee the development of this. Uh, it was a multi-stakeholder engagement program, and it was also a business sustainability program. And so that's that's really what what I want to talk about uh, in in this interview also. And just for um, people who may, I mean, Dow is a huge company, but not everyone may have come across it. I think of Dow as, as a chemicals company. What, how would you describe it? And what, yeah, it's a leading. When you talk about technology and solutions, what sorts of things are we talking about? Yeah, it's a leading materials company. And so, uh, you know, materials and chemistry goes in so many different applications. Actually, in general, you can think about really almost everything that surrounds you as being enabled in one way or the other by chemistry and materials. Uh, and so uh, we, we did a number of projects, actually a total of, of more than 20 projects under this partnership program uh, that went from renewable energy to packaging, to agriculture, and to building insulation so really a very broad uh, spectrum of of activities and projects and in those how was sustainability framed were there particular keywords was there particular issues which were included and some others which were excluded what 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 was meant by sustainability 
Yes, well, in, in general, you know, uh, sustainability in the, I want now to speak to the material sector. In the material sector, sustainability has probably three key components. One is around carbon emissions. The second is about circular economy or uh, material waste in the environment. And the third component is probably ab- around material safety. And these are all components that, that were integrated and are being integrated by most uh, leading material science companies in their sustainability strategies. Um, Sustainability is, of course, a very broad term. When I now think about you know, applied sustainability, uh, uh, the company that we have recently founded, we we look at it very broadly. We both work on social entrepreneurship as well as also on material sustainability, climate change and circular economy. And I think what is really very, very important is not only that different organizations identify what their key themes are, but realize the interconnectedness of these different themes. Mm -hmm. And Indeed. Uh, and one question back about, I'm particularly interested about how organisations engage with sustainability. Thinking back to that role in Dow, how did, how did the, the work you were doing with the IOC, how did that uh, relate to the organisation strategy to what Dow was trying to achieve overall? Yes. So, uh, first of all, what we did was uh, something that was very unusual. In the world of sports, typically a carbon partner to a sport organization will uh, provide carbon credits that are retired from the existing voluntary carbon market. And these carbon credits will uh, offset the footprint of a mega event such as the Olympic Games. Uh, We wanted to break with this tradition and create a business engagement program. So uh, what we actually did is we wanted to use our own technologies with our customers to initiate new projects that would lead to CO2 reductions. So you can already see that the strategy was from the very beginning to put sustainability and to put our materials and our knowledge at the core of the program. And again, as I said, to create new projects that would catalyze change in the geographies where they happened. And and, uh, in order to do that, we had actually to to make a whole program construction around that. Sure. And let's get to that in a second. But I just want to make sure we, um, our listeners have, (laughs) understand some of the terms. So, uh, and the distinction you're drawing out there. So a carbon credit would be where somebody has planted a forest, uh, has um, perhaps made some savings, Uh, and their own emissions of their power station, whatever it is, and those avoided emissions or those sequestered emissions become available to something they can sell to somebody else who is Mm -hmm. behaving as they were before. They've admitted as as much as they were going to do anyway, and they just buy the offsets to um, reduce the total emissions in the world, even though they themselves have not changed. That's that's carbon credits in a nutshell. And instead, what you're talking about is now working with the IOC and the businesses around the IOC to actually make direct savings and not to buy savings off of the marketplace. So it's a it's a very engaged and deep difference. Yes, it's a, a lot more a collaboration program. And I think we can also maybe bring another term in. You know, uh, you talked about offsetting. Offsetting is very often just about the financial transaction. It's not, it's not a bad thing. It's just complementary. It needs to be complementary to business uh, 
innovating and, and bringing new technologies to the market that are uh, lead to lower CO2 uh, emissions. Um, and also another term maybe is insetting, where it's people collaborating within their value chain to reduce emissions. And, and uh, you know, I think all of these three approaches uh, need to be very much complementary. We need to all, do all three of them. It's good to find projects that, that have been done by, by other people in other geographies, but it also really important to engage your own business community as a business leader. Sure. So now let's move into your a story which really illustrates the work that Dow is doing. So can you tell us about a good example? And I think you were starting with um, the business collaboration. So tell us about what you did and the beginning, middle and end of what, what that was all about. Yeah, the, the story always begins with people. It actually began uh, with, you know, the Sochi Olympic Games, where, uh, like in many, many sporting events, sustainability uh, requirements get added very often on top of, of uh, other requirements or as an afterthought. And, and in this case, you know, uh, offsetting or, or mitigating the footprint of the games was one of the key requirements. And the organization was really looking for partners that would help them do that. And this was not something that we had uh, uh, thought about beforehand. And we had to construct really a whole program approach, as I said. Uh, we had to create a framework that we we had to get third party validated and also make publicly available to make sure that our uh, approach was considered uh, credible and and then uh, based on that we then looked at uh, who could be project partners what kind of technologies would help us uh, achieve our objectives uh, from from the very beginning, every project had sort of a dual metric, an environmental metric and a business metric, and and so we went after these these uh, very clear guidelines and very clear uh, project requirements to to put together a portfolio of activities and projects. And so there's almost like two layers to this. There's that partnership layer or portfolio where there's the relationship between Dow IOC. Uh, and other partners. And then there's this second layer of specific projects which are applying material science with partners to specific, find specific savings. Um, and earlier on, you mentioned a couple of different domains that these were in. So one was in packaging, or you talked about packaging, talked about agriculture, uh, talked about energy. Could you just give us, give us a flavor of one or two of those? Just what were the technologies? Who were the people, partners we were working with? What was innovative? What was the? Was there a physical product innovation? Was there an innovation in the process of getting it to happen, or was the innovation at the level of how it was managed? Okay, these are quite a few questions <laughs> at the <laughs> same <very> time. <laughs> so um, let's. So the first thing we looked at is actually where do the emissions come from, mm -hmm. and I would recommend everybody to, to to think about that if you want to reduce. CO2 emissions in a specific geography. You know, the projects need to happen locally. Very often we talk about greenhouse gas emissions at the very abstract global level. But in order to, to find 
sources for, of reduction, you need to do, think locally. And so we, we first of all thought about, okay, uh, geographies of implementation and where the emissions came from. So as we started with the Sochi Olympic Games, it's a cold country. And uh, so insulation was one of the key technologies that we wanted to deploy, of course, uh, we also looked at agriculture in, in that uh, context where low-till agriculture was one of the, the, the uh, projects that, uh, that we wanted to implement. So looking at the local emission sources, that's uh, what will determine what kind of technologies you can uh, identify. Uh, another criteria that we looked at was the speed of implementation. So, uh, you know, just like an athlete needs to, to, to practice to, to, for the competition, so our team had to also uh, up their 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 game and uh, make sure they they could deliver within a very short time frame, and so that leads us to partners. Uh, when you want to implement something very quickly, the best way to start is with your customers. And so that's really you know uh, nothing uh, like that would ever have happened without customers and the, the existing customer relationships that we could leverage. It's interesting. I mean, the students have just been hearing about how different theories of innovation either start with a technology push or some start with the market demand. But there's another bunch which start with the coupling between the customer and the, the, the firm. And that's what you're describing there, that um, it's by knowing, what the, by knowing the customer and knowing what the customer wants that you're able to uh, find the right technology or innovate the right technology. If we take the example of the insulation, was that a taking an existing material and just distributing it differently and putting it into that market, a marketplace which it hadn't been in before at a speed and scale that it hadn't been in before? Or was there a need for some technological innovation, some new materials, some new ways of making them that was needed in order to make that to happen? Uh, uh, by and large, when you want to get things done within a couple of years, you need to tap into existing technologies and an existing innovation or transfer them from, from other geographies into this target geography. So, and also at the uh, core of this program was the thinking that actually most of the technologies already exist. We hear this uh, in the in, uh, re recent report for, uh, by the International Energy Agency in the UN uh, Environment Agency GAP report, wherever we, we can read that most of the technologies exist. So why is uh, decarbonization not happening at a more rapid scale. Uh, the problem is that a lot of the incentives went to technologies that were not mature enough because the thinking was that technologies that already are at scale should be deployed anyway. Well, they're not because we are all people and, and, and human behavior is that we like to stay in our comfort zone. And so what we effectively did, we helped our customers, first of all, measure the carbon impacts that were not a requirement for their business to actually uh, measure them and demonstrate them and and verify them. So we helped them do that. And and then the second thing was we uh, yeah we helped them put that metric as part of the projects and and provide them provided them also the marketing opportunity uh, to to talk about these uh, technologies and the, the program uh, that they had implemented together. So it was a, a very much using existing technologies, accelerating the implementation, um, putting um, in the carbon metrics 
into the, the mix and providing the marketing platform uh, to, to share success and, and also failures to a certain extent. Yeah. And, and I think one of the key points there, just to reiterate, um, people often uh, split the innovation process into different phases. There's a pure invention phase of often in universities or in labs coming up with the material that goes into the installation. There's an innovation phase which makes that something which is ready to be commercialized. And then there's the selling and commercializing and the constant improvement phase. And what you're talking about there is just because a technology is ready on the shelf, it's made its way to the end of that innovation phase, does not mean that it will get scaled. And in order to scale it, there's actually, or diffuse it and have it adopted, there's an awful lot of work that needs to be done there for lots of reasons, including it needs to displace its competitors. It needs to get people to pay attention to it, who have lots of other things on their mind. They're they're busy with other things in their lives. Uh, You need to have distribution channels and ways in which it gets physically put into the walls in the case of insulation, none of which currently exists that distribution channel. So it's like, um, just because the widget is there does not mean that it'll magically suddenly get everywhere. It will um, spread around the world. And so the- exactly. Yes. And, and in fact, I want to add one more than I mentioned. We actually even communicated to homeowners that by improving insulation of their windows through an, a, a, an insulation foam, uh, they could reduce CO2 emissions, uh, indicating, you know, uh, different uh, sources that we had uh, used, the references for this uh, for this work, and so on, and how that would help um, mitigate the carbon impacts uh, of the Sochi Olympic Games. So even the communication to the homeowners and to the end user is something that we brought into some of this project, depending on the project, of course. Sure. So then let's move a bit into the methods and practices. Uh, Were there particular ways, particular methods, particular frameworks that used around innovation for sustainability, whether at the level of an individual product or at the level of the portfolio, um, to make sure that you were doing the right thing? Yes, so uh, I want to talk maybe about uh, two things here. Well, one in general in R&D in a materials company, uh, you know, there are a number of, uh, there, there is always a process, a stage gate process that is being used. And, and uh, you know, I don't want to go into mentioning the, the, the names of the stage gate processes because every organization has their favorite one. But in general, it is about the discovery phase, the scoping phase. Then, then you, you do a kind of feasibility study or proof of concept and so on. Then you go into development and preparing, and then go you go into scaling and preparing the launch. And then you go into full uh, implementation. And these are typically stage gate processes. That means, you know, uh, there are are clear deliverables after every one of the stage in order to be able to move on. Uh, There are criteria that need to be taken and activities that need to be covered in every stage. And there are multi, uh, there are cross-functional teams that work to uh, develop this technology and to go through the process and also cross-functional uh, steering teams evaluate the progress. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, coming from a, a process and a manufacturing environment, this is really ingrained in, in uh, the culture of, of these organizations very often. Now for before our... You, before you move yeah. on to the second one, just to land for people, when we talk about a stage gate process, the, the stages you, and you described it as those different phases... The gate part of the name is to do with if it doesn't reach a particular hurdle, if it don't, isn't good enough because of 
um, either on a physical level or on a it doesn't function well enough, its quality isn't good enough, or it looks like it's going to be too expensive, then it fails to get through the gate and it might get another go at that phase or it might just get killed as a project. That's that's the reason for having a gate. Exactly. And and unfortunately, sometimes projects don't get killed fast enough. You know, that's another topic probably for, for a whole other, um, uh, other session. I think it's important that, that they do get killed when they need to get killed and also that we learn from failures. So uh, failure is, is a virtue in my eyes to a certain extent. And that's something that we all, so now I want to talk about the program approach and, and what kind of process we used for that. It was different as we have already explained. It was about application of existing technologies and, and uh, adding this carbon dimension to all of these technologies. And so we, we leveraged a lot of the processes from the voluntary carbon market. So uh, there are different uh, methodologies there too. It's about evaluating a project potential first. So we said what kind of, we already talked about where do emissions come from, what kind of technologies could be relevant for Brazil, for Russia, for Asia, and, and therefore identifying project potentials based also on the, the project portfolio, the technology portfolio that we brought. Then we selected a specific standard or a, a framework, which was in our case, we had created our own framework. Um, then we, we selected also the auditor or the partners to bring in the expert partners. We had both um, an auditor as well as some carbon experts from different organizations. And then we started to identify project implementation activities. And, and from there, we, we sort of developed the project, which mean we, means we executed the project implementation activities, and then at the end, verified the results. And also in this case, there were different stages, and we engaged very much with our um, uh, partner, in this case, the IOC or the Rio Olympic Games or the Sochi Olympic Games, uh, to verify the progress throughout the stages. So we would, we would show our portfolio of project opportunities, select certain ones, move forward with them, get approval for that, and so take, uh, take the projects through the different stages. What I want to say is uh, it's really important that you manage your portfolio. Um, not every project is going to be successful. Uh, and, and that, again, comes, comes in. We have to learn from our failures, but we have to have a robust enough approach that the portfolio can, can accept a certain failure rate. And across the portfolio, did you have a, like a skew? Did you have a few big but risky projects and then lots of small but certain ones? Was there a way in which you... Had to manage the composition of the portfolio. Yes. Um, yes. So we, uh, well, we had some core uh, technologies, I would say, and also we did use carbon credits uh, to help us balance the risk. Yeah. So when, uh, when, when talking about a very public event, you need to make sure that you can deliver things early on. So carbon credits are existing. Uh, emission reduction sources and in in targeted um, intervention we use them yeah to balance out the portfolio also because it is the the business as usual it was not our preference but it was uh, the the business as usual so hence we we blended 
had a blended portfolio that contained certain uh, uh, offsetting projects. And that was a way of having by having those um, low risk. Like you knew they were very, you were very relatively certain that they would deliver. That allowed you to take more risk on the other projects that you were doing, and therefore that's what we mean by a blended or balanced portfolio. There. Moving on to our last few questions, um, what's the biggest challenges you faced, and how did you overcome them? Um, I would say the biggest challenge was that it was not business as usual. You know, business as usual looked very different. Uh, we were effectively trying to compete with the voluntary carbon market um, with a different approach. It's it's all in the voluntary space, so um, that that helped us to to make sure that we we could probably do that. Uh, but we we wanted to make sure we bring. We, we, this approach was seen as complementary. That was also one of the other reasons why, for instance, some of the projects, we would go through all the phases to register a carbon credit to show that they had the same level of credibility. And on the other hand, that's why we brought a, a, some of the a, a voluntary carbon market mechanisms into the program. So having to go beyond business as usual was, I would say, the, the biggest hurdle. Um, uh, the, the second was also sometimes overcoming internal uh, barriers. Uh, the way I always like to think in order to get uh, um, to overcome sometimes uh, internal barriers the best thing to do is to bring your customer in and to make your customer excited. So I, whenever you implement a, a, an approach, a sort of a multi-stakeholder collaboration program, bring the customer to the table straight away. And then the, the third piece was really to help people understand the, the connection to the, to the core of what the company does and did, which is materials. So make your, your initiative really core to what you do and not something that has no connection with your own strategy. Uh, like uh, It needs to be really core to your strategy in order to be able to, to execute it. Great. Um, if there's one thing policymakers could do that would make your work easier or have a larger return, what would it be? What would you ask from the governments and policymakers? Well, I think in the end, uh, we have been asking for a, a global price on carbon, or I, I personally, you know, <laughs> for, for a long time, I think we need to have more clarity. Uh, today, only 25% of the global emissions are covered by a price on carbon. We need to have more clarity. We cannot expect things to happen really at a big scale unless there is a price on carbon, whatever that means in the different jurisdictions. So that, that would be my one asked. Okay. Um, I think we'll, for the students, they'll cover some of that. And also, I mean, I would absolutely agree we need strong incentives for uh, carb reducing the amount of carbon in the economy. And um, prices are one of the mechanisms to have that, that those incentives. And um, having a global consistent carbon price um, maybe politically maybe a little bit challenging at the moment so we may have to end up with a patchwork quilt of different policy responses to getting an innovation getting the incentives in place and then finally yeah, i i for, just want to say i fully agree with you i mean when yeah. i when i talk about a price on carbon it's really whatever that means in the different jurisdictions yeah. uh but uh, we need to have more coverage otherwise uh, you know we will not be able to scale the the yeah. technologies that we need 
And then finally, in the future, what are the priorities, particularly thinking about innovation for sustainability, what are your priorities going forward? Well, uh, what I see is that um, the interconnectedness of the different issues is really important to understand. Uh, we, we tend to work on one issue at a time, and, and that is going to come back to haunt us. Uh, it's like a multi-headed monster. You know, if you, if you work on that one head, there will be another head that raises, uh, comes up. And so I think helping companies understand the, multi, the, the interconnectedness of different issues is, is one of my key priorities. Uh, the second one is recognizing that everybody has an, a different pathway to sustainability uh, because they have a different point of departure. And so it's very difficult to just copy paste things. Uh, the, the, the pathway to, to becoming more sustainable is very much specific to that organization. So making sure people understand that and, and helping them achieve that. And, and then, you know, making sure we up our ambition, you know, uh, that was uh, for me a key success factor of this whole program that I have described, that we had a very public commitment, we had a very significant commitment. And, and so I think that's that's something that, that I, uh, and having this commitment actually creates a lot of alignment. If you have an incremental goal, it does not create alignment across the organization. But if you really give people goals that are very significant, where they say, we can't do this with our current business. We need to find new partners for that. That helps them really to think outside their business as usual. Wonderful. And that is a fantastic thing for us to end on there about the need for how a heightened ambition can create heightened excitement and alignment across the organization and actually be better than an incremental version. Thank you very much, Nicoletta. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, and the interview series will continue, but thank you very much for your insights. Thank you.